to deal with John chapter uh, 5, 1 to 15. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to come back and deal with uh, verses 16 and following. John 5 is just absolutely rich, rich in the, the instance of healing and what Jesus communicates that through that at the very beginning. And then it just explodes explodes on you in the rest of John chapter 5. It is immense. Uh, You could pray for me for help. (laughs) And we could be praying for each other to grasp it. Because if we grasp what is in John 5 over the next, over this week and in two weeks time, again, it's rich, rich, rich truth for life. We always come to John, remember, through the lens of that little key that John gives us, that interpretative key In John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So whatever we look to in John's gospel, we we, we think, how does this text reveal to us that Jesus is the Christ, the promised King of old? And how does this text show us that he is truly the Son of God? Let's keep those things in mind as we pray together now and then as we read from John 5, verse 1 and following. Father, we ask that by the divine work of your Holy Spirit that we would have eyes to behold Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, tonight. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 5, verse 1. Uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades, covered colonnades. Here a number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Amen. This is God's word.
there is a, a story that is written by a man called Calvin Miller entitled The Singer. Anyone read it? A few. A few. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress in some sense in that it's a, it's a metaphor. So the singer that is uh, characterized in this uh, this story is a Jesus figure. It's like Jesus who goes around and by his song and by his melody has an ability to heal people. And in one scene, the singer meets a man in a grain room in a mill. And listen to this. It says, They went into the grain room. The singer looked upon the great machine which milled the grist when he suddenly discovered that one of the miller's hands was crippled. Can you run such a great stone with but a single hand, he asks. I manage, the miller replied, though it was always much easier with two. Did you lose your hand in the machinery, the singer asked. Oh, I was in much too great a hurry three harvest times ago, and the great stone caught my hand, and when they wound the grinder back, this was all I had left. I will make it useful again if you desire it whole, and believe it can be. Oh, it cannot be so easy, singer. Would you wave your magic wand above such suffering and have it all be done with? I sometimes wake in the night with throbbing agony alive through this twisted dying limb. You cannot understand this sort of pain. I may have no pain like yours, but I have a healing melody, he says. Oh, that such a healing now were possible, but now that cannot be. Have you no sympathy for suffering? Are you so empty of conscience, conscience as to suggest a hopeless remedy? You only add to my misery by forcing me to see myself a cripple. But there is power in the melody, the singer replies, and I can make you well. Please, Miller, trust me. Let me sing. Stop your mocking, said the Miller. I'm a sick old man whom life has cheated of a hand. The nightly pain has already begun and my hope is gone. I would suggest there are many people who feel just like that miller. Not just suffering, in other words, but in some way locked into that suffering so that even when a healing remedy or option is offered, they don't see it. And they don't receive it. I think that's one of the ways we could use, one of the ways we could describe this man in John chapter 5, just lying at this pool called Bethesda. I'd like to walk it through tonight, just highlighting a few things. First of all, if you're taking notes, the sorrow of a lifetime suffering, the word of a life-giving saviour, and, if I can find my final point, the warning of an account-demanding judge. What we have before us in verses 1 to 5 is really a desperate scene, isn't it? Here is a man uh, by the sheep gate in, near, at a pool called Bethesda. It's described for us there, a place where so many people we, we read there are lying there. And it's a, a, a picture painted for us of a broken people gathered round this pool. And here John just zeroes us in on one of the, this crowd of sufferers by telling us that there was one man there who had been there for 38 years. 
We're not told exactly what's wrong with him, but from verse 8, it seems like it's some form of lameness or paralysis of sorts. And I find it really interesting that the word that's used to describe this man is the same word that's used to describe us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 to describe our condition when Christ came to rescue us. Paul says, you see at just the right time while we were still powerless. It's the same word for invalid. While we were still powerless, still spiritual invalids, if you like, Christ died for the ungodly. It gives you a hint as to what John is trying to tell us about this man. He is powerless. He he is powerless in himself. What's more, we're told that he had been powerless like this for 38 years. That's, that's, That's an awful thought, isn't it? I mean, that's a lifetime's suffering for many of us. Certainly is for this guy when life expectancy in these days was around about 45 to 50 years old. This man had been suffering his whole life. And most of us have absolutely no idea what that would be like. You know, some of us grumble after two or three days of a, of a bad bout of flu. If you're a man, you certainly do. Some of us grumble about the prospect of even 12 weeks in a cast. We think, what a hindrance. Never mind 38 years of being unable to walk or being powerless in and of yourself. In our culture where health is heaven and suffering is hell, can anything be worse than this for this man? This would in many of our books, even be the worst thing that could happen to us. I mean, I've heard many people who have experienced all sorts of kinds of suffering. Maybe that of losing a loved one, maybe that of losing even money or possessions or a whole portfolio or things like that, or just going bust, only to hear people say, well, at least I've got my health and that's all that matters. We often put our hope in our good health. We think doctors are our saviors. Many go to real extremes in this, of course. They think that the defiance of death and retaining of youth, well, that's especially good heaven for them, isn't it? So they go to their cosmetic surgeon as their savior. How sad. This man cannot even say, well, at least I have my health and that's all that matters. He's powerless. He's powerless. He has nothing. And it's tough reading. It's supposed to be tough reading. The poverty of this predicament really is amplified for us by the compassionate question that Jesus goes on to ask. In verse 6, we know it's compassionate, of course, because of the detail we've already considered. The, the people round about this pool are, 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 are the social rejects of the time. The raggy dolls, if you like, treated, fact, treated like factory seconds, excluded from society and excluded from worship. But Jesus does not neglect them. He goes there. When Jesus saw him lying there, he sees him because he goes there. And learned, learned. Sounds like Jesus has asked someone there, I think, the word used in the original Greek expresses the fact that Jesus knew, just as by the, the, the woman at the well, just as he knew she had more, she, she had five husbands and more. 
But Jesus does not neglect this man. Jesus goes there out of choice, no doubt, just in the same way that he went in choice to this well in Samaria. Jesus truly moves towards us in our need, doesn't he? Never away from us, always towards us. And he sees this man and knowing his predicament, asks the sufferer sufferer that question, do you want to get well? Now, what did you think when you first heard that? That's a little insensitive. Is it not? Do you want to get well? I mean, we don't quite get why he's asking this question until later on in the text. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? I mean, it's kind of, it sounds insensitive to us, doesn't it? I mean, it's like saying to a homeless man, would you like a house? It's, 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 it seems insensitive. But the question, I believe, is one of reorientation. I think the man has been like this for so long, no doubt tried various remedies. And like even the miller, in our introduction, tired of the failed remedies, which only served to cement him in his misery. The man responds oddly in verse 7, if you look with me, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. He didn't just say, yes, please, yes. He says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in, and it seems all by himself. Someone else goes down ahead of me. See the poverty in this man's life. Don't close your eyes to it. We need to see this. We've already seen that he is an invalid, is the word that's used. He is powerless. But now, even in verse 7, we are told he has nobody to help him. He's, He's not powerless, he's friendless. Maybe people have already given up hope on him. Others may have around in these, this pool may have family members and friends who stay with them or at least come at certain times of the day to help them. Maybe there are compassionate people in the community that sometimes go around and help, but this man seems friendless. But it gets worse. He's not only powerless and friendless, he's godless. It seems his hope is in this superstitious belief that when water ripples and moves on its own in front of him, There is some kind of superstition or thought that the first person in gets healed. And you know that kind of superstition is not alien to our culture. How many people do we know who still read their horoscopes every day or attend clairvoyancy meetings and so on? This man is powerless, friendless, godless. I wonder if to any extent, in any of those things, or even in all of them, do you see yourself in this sufferer? Because we all suffer in various forms. Or if we haven't yet suffered in such forms, we will live long enough, says Don Carson, and you will suffer. It's true. It's a reality check for us. We all suffer in various forms, maybe not in kind of totality that this man experiences, although some do, as I've said. For some suffering is rooted in sickness and in illness in irreversible conditions. For, for others, it's a suffering of loneliness with the most painful experiences of desertion being something that just tears your life apart. For others still, maybe it's a feeling that God has abandoned you. You cannot understand why he has perhaps allowed certain things to happen to you and and you lament at this lack of explanation. Well, like this man at Bethesda, we can so easily lie 
emotionally, relationally, and spiritually paralyzed. What we need in times of such suffering is, I believe, clear. It's exactly what this man at Bethesda needed, and it's exactly what we need if we feel similarly. We need the word of a life-giving Savior. This is point two, the word of a life-giving Savior. You must know what it's like, surely, to have a dream that seems so real, uh, only to have something awaken you to the fact that it was just a dream and that it was not real. After all, maybe your alarm goes off and then you wake up from the fact that you are not a professional footballer scoring against England your hat-trick at Wembley in the World Cup final. Yes. Uh, in fact, you find out that when you're waking up, you're an unfit pastor who's mildly overweight and needs to get the breakfast ready for the kids. Uh, I think it's more, more of a reality check. You know what it is? You know, it, reality just breaks into your world, doesn't it? You have a wake-up call. Maybe what causes that? Well, maybe your alarm goes off. Uh, for me, it's my two-year-old standing at the side of my bed saying, Daddy, Daddy, or wake up, wake up, which is quite frightening when you're having one of those dreams, as you think. Well, I think what Jesus provides real for this man is a real wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for him as he is just encapsulated, cocooned in his suffering, in his powerless, friendless, godless existence. The man is just so caught up in his suffering. And it's almost, Jesus does the same as what the singer does in our introduction again, doesn't he? You remember what he said? The man said, life has cheated me, my hope is gone. And all the while the singer is just repeatedly saying to him, let me sing. Let me sing, I have a healing melody, just trust me. And here's what Jesus does. Look with me at verse 8. This man so caught up in his powerless, friendless, godless existence, Jesus says, get up. It's the Greek word egere, which is, as we'll see later on in John chapter 5, is the same word for the awakening of the dead when Jesus comes again. Arise! Rouse yourself! Now, before you even get a chance to think, well, that's doubly insensitive, look on with me. As Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. You're talking to a man who's been like this for 38 years and you shout, wake up, rouse yourself. To a powerless man, you say, pick up your mat and walk. Well, at once, verse 9. At once. What happened? The man was cured. He was well. He picked up his mat and walked. It must have been an absolutely incredible thing to see, mustn't it? Can you imagine the poor man just even looking into the face of Jesus as he says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. I'm sure he was just, I, I don't know, I always imagined him just looking up at Jesus just thinking, did he just say, did he just say, get up? You know? And maybe just as that thought's going through his mind, just to all of a sudden feel a sudden surge of power in his legs. Or, or these 
atrophied and wasted muscles not used just all of a sudden bulking up and then finding strength and you know next thing he knows he's just his legs are moving he's just putting his feet down planted and then he's up and then you know like I don't know I don't know like a scout at Canty Bay trying to get over the legs of people as he goes to the toilet in the middle of the night this man just gets up and he is moving it is it is it is incredible can you imagine everyone else watching on is that that guy it's incredible such is the word of a life giving saviour he speaks and dead things are reanimated and that for which we had no power now we have power to do and power to obey. The man picked up his mat and walked. Would you have picked up your mat? I'd be like, <laughs> it's incredible. The immediacy of the effect of the word of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, he speaks and muscles and bones and atoms and Anything else you want to add in there, obeys. Obeys. And just as 38 years force us to see the gravity of this poor man's suffering, so even the carrying of his bed proves the completeness of the instancy of this cure. How does this text reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? The lame shall leap like a deer. It's beautiful. And it's a free and gracious gift. Did you notice that? Jesus takes the initiative, goes to the man, simply heals him out of his kindness and compassion. There is actually no mention whatsoever of any faith on the part of this man. He doesn't even know the name of the man who has healed him. How does this text take a turn? Because we've seen the, the, the miracle of the healing for a man who was just so weighed down, so weighed down by suffering. At the end of verse 9, John introduces something that at first just seems to break the flow of the scene, but it doesn't. He, he tells us, John says this, as we're thinking about how magnificent Jesus is and how amazing this miracle is, all we hear is, and it was the Sabbath. And we think, oh no. Oh no. Now what? <laughs> you know? And it seems though that even in that, another wake up call is necessary, not just for the man and his suffering, but for the man and his religion. Because verses 10 to 13 tell us that the man, having been healed, apprehended by religious leaders who say, Law 39 of the Sabbath book of conduct says, It is not permissible for you to carry your mat. That's a paraphrase, you understand. Um, it was law 39 though of their rule book in relation to what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath it's, it's, it's just it's terrible isn't it can you imagine the looks they gave the guy I mean here's this man rejoicing his legs are working he's, he's powerless and he's moving and he's walking can you imagine the looks he was getting I, you know I still when I was thinking about this I, I, I thought back to my time when I used to work in Nine Wills Hospital in Dundee and I still remember the time when mobile phones were banned in hospitals you remember that? 
the warning signs going up. Mobile phones may affect medical equipment in this hospital. You, know, you're like, Whoa. you remember the looks you used to get when you still used your mobile phone? You would be scowled at. And that's what I imagine even this man saw in the face of, of these religious leaders. A scowl. Here is, and here comes what should have been their wake-up call in verse 11. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Ha, the man who made, we, me, made me well said, made me well, whole. So what was going through their minds? Isaiah 35. <laughs> the lame shall leap like the deer. They will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will crowd their heads. Did they say, oh, I've seen you by that pool? No, there was none of that. They they are steeped in this other form of godlessness, just similar to superstition in some sense, that of legalism. And these guys, this outward conformity to rules and regulations had replaced true heart commitment for them. And they were so transfixed on this law as a rule book, even adding their own rules when a work of God is quite clearly before them. But they cannot even see it. I mean, they could recite the whole first five books of the Bible. But they could not see God at work through the healing of this man. Because of this, they say, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? As I say, the man couldn't answer their question. He had no idea who it was that healed him until Jesus finds him in the temple. And look with me, of course, at verse 14. And listen closely, because here is where this entire text just opens up for us. Okay. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. You see what Jesus did there? Basically saying three things. One, you are well. Two, stop sinning. And then three, warn that continued sinfulness in this man's life will result in judgment. Again, that's almost a surprising thing for us to hear. But this is point three. This is the warning of an account-demanding judge. And here's where we see quite plainly that this man's greatest problem was not the fact that he was powerless in some form for 38 years. The man's greatest problem was the fact that he was a sinner. Jesus asked the man earlier if he wanted to get well, but we didn't quite get what he meant. And now we're given a key that unlocks the whole message for us. It helps us understand why Jesus made the man well. Why did Jesus say to him, do you want to get well? And then later would say, see, now you are well. So Jesus is connecting what he's saying to him now with what he said to him at the point of his powerlessness and of his paralysis, we assume. Jesus made the man well to impress upon him that there is something worse, something worse than a lifetime of suffering 
and that the root cause of these kinds of sufferings is sin. Sin. And that immediately, those of us who know our Bibles, just takes us back to the point where sin entered the world through Adam's willful and conscious rebellion against God's instruction in the garden called Eden and brought God's brought into God's marvelous and wonderful creation, sickness, disease, and death. Sin, you see, has physical physical consequences but that same sin does not just have physical consequences it has significant spiritual consequences you see Adam was not just told as you eat of the fruit you shall surely die and then as he ate of the fruit set in motion the entrance of death into the world it had major spiritual consequences where Adam was expelled from the presence of God separated from God and that was part of God's judgment. All of that was our complete undoing as humanity. For as in Adam all die. We are in Adam when we are born as human beings into this planet. Inheritors of that sin. Some people object to that. Why should I be an inheritor of something else that someone of something that someone else has done. Well, be careful where you go with that argument. I'll explain in a wee second. But Jesus reinforces the man's biggest problem is in fact his sin. It's almost surprising to us again. We thought this poor man's disability was his biggest problem. We think a lifetime suffering is actually the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. But Jesus is being so clear here saying, actually, it's not. It's not. I believe he's talking about the worst thing that is the final judgment. Where there will be a great division takes place, a separation of people. Of people separated to be with God forever in heaven people who are qualified for that through faith in Jesus Christ and on the other hand those who are separated off towards an eternity separated from God and it's a frightful prospect because in eternity People who are unbelievers will basically get what they wanted for and indeed practiced in life. That is, a godless existence. The Bible calls that hell and uses some pretty descriptive language to paint a picture for us. It's painful imagery, actually. It's a lake of fire. It has fearful sounds of weeping and wailing with even zooming us into facial expressions where we are supposed to see gnashing of teeth and it exists and it's real and it's a real prospect for those who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God 
And despite what some authors will suggest, there is no second chance after death. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. God's love will be evident and most concrete in its victory through the cross and through the maintenance of his justice in carrying out this separation. Now, I have no desire to be a scaremonger here. But I have no desire to be a liar either. I could deceive you. I could convince you that there could be a second chance after death for you to go to heaven. I could convince you of all sorts of things, I'm sure. But I desire just to speak truth with what I hope is a broken-hearted boldness. What do we have to do to ensure that we avoid what Jesus calls something worse? What do we have to do? Well, Jesus, in a sense, says what we have to do. Stop sinning. Sin no more. See, now you're well. Stop sinning. It connects the two. Stop sinning. Ever tried that? I have. It doesn't work. And I think that's the point. I think that the man, I think that we were supposed to see the impossibility of the prospect of us stopping sinning. And to recognize that what we need, all in all, is a savior. Is someone on whom we can depend someone who will live the righteous life in our place, someone who will live the sinless life in our place where they don't need to stop sinning because they never even started sinning, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you remember your argument about Adam? Oh, I'm not happy about another man's sinfulness being imputed to my account. Well, transfer that. Are you not happy about the prospect of Jesus' righteousness being imputed to your account? I'm delighted have to say because apart from Christ and his righteousness and his substitutionary death I'm a goner I'm in the something worse but praise God when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ same way if you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you have life and you have the prospect despite your suffering dear friend of something better and better by far better by far we have hope in Christ I wonder if tonight as you've looked on this man have you seen a picture of your spiritual self in this are you immersed in suffering we're not dismissive of that you know we want to care for you in and through that there is no question about that We share the same love and compassion that Jesus has for those who are suffering. He grants us that love by his grace to share. But are you immersed in this suffering? Is it skewing your perspective like it did the man? Are you pinning your hopes, maybe not on superstitious things, but on futile endeavors for your life? Are you powerless, friendless, Godless. Remember what Romans 5, 6 says. 
while we were powerless, Christ died for us. Think back once more to the scene I introduced at the beginning from the singer. The miller has rejected the singer and the opportunity for him to sing a healing melody. He is feeling the pain of his suffering. He's hating the singer because he's forcing him to see himself as a cripple. And he just dwells in his own cocoon of self-pity, refusing to allow the singer to heal him. And the story continues like this. The singer watched the miller moan and fall on the floor with his healthy fingers and he held his mangled hand. He cried, oh God, deliver me from this body. I can never be well as other men. And as he waited for the singer to join him in his pity, he raised his head for understanding. But when he raised his head, the door was open on the night and the singer was nowhere to be seen. I hope that if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you will lift your head before the singer leaves the room, before Jesus leaves the room, before it's too late, because as has already been said earlier in our service, he is coming back, and we don't know when that will be, and that will be the decisive point for our eternity. Those who have trusted in his death on the cross will be saved to sin no more. In the glory of the new heaven and new earth. Where everything we read in Isaiah 35 will be real. Will be tangible. Will be before us. But that everyone who has not believed in Jesus the Christ the Son of God. It will be eternal hell and separation from God. My encouragement to you, if you're not a Christian, put your faith and trust in him. You say, oh, Jesus does not understand my suffering. Do you not know his own song of lament as he died on that cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on himself our hell. He took on himself our the wrath that was due for us so that we we might be made well he secured in his suffering the certainty that suffering and decay caused by sin will one day be gone removed praise God and we can be made well the question is do you want to be made well? Pray to him tonight. Confess your sin and put your faith and trust in him and everlasting joy shall be upon your head. Let's pray.